Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. And it is April. It is 2020. And we are one month into the new normal of working from home, sheltering in place, uh, keeping our social distance from one another, and and really trying to learn how to be the church when we can't meet up, when we can't gather together for worship. So far, 2020 has shaped up to be a very challenging year, and we're just three months in. But in the midst of the challenge that we're facing, the promises that God has made to those who trust in Christ, those things have not changed. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Actually, I want to follow up on last week's podcast where... Last week, we looked at the first half of Peter's introduction to his first letter. Uh, Last week, we talked about the living hope that we have in Christ and how this hope motivates our worship of God, even in the face of trials. But this week, I want to look at the future hope that Peter tells us about, a hope that takes the form of our Christian inheritance. So, let me read the passage again. This is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Let me read it and just talk about it with you for a few minutes. Uh, here's what Peter says to us. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, you rejoice. Now, last week we talked about the fact that uh, that phrase, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, basically what blessed means is uh, blessed is a, is a word of praise. It, it's about worship. We are blessing God, and we're blessing God for what He's done in us and what He's promised to us. So Peter is telling us we have all of these reasons to praise God, to bless God, to worship God. And it starts out with the fact that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and through Christ He has shown us great mercy. In the past, God has sent His Son to live for us, to die for us. He's extended mercy to us as sinners. He caused us to be born again, and He's giving, given us a living hope because Jesus has, is alive. Jesus has risen from the dead. Right? So that's what we talked about last week. All of the, the, the realities that we enjoy today because of what Christ has done for us in the past. But our hope, our living hope, doesn't just look to the past. It also looks to the future. And Peter tells us that we have this inheritance that is to come. This is an amazing inheritance that is being kept by God for us. And it's going to be revealed to us in the last time. So this is a very rich passage, and like I mentioned last week, it's just one that's been on my mind and on my heart as I've been thinking through what we're experiencing right now, living through this COVID-19 outbreak. Now, one of the things that's really important to keep in mind about this passage is that the real main idea here is our living hope, right? That's That's the main point of this entire passage, that as believers in Christ, we have a living 
hope and all of the surrounding truths about you know what God has done for us and the mercy that he's shown for us and what he's promised to us and and how he's going to keep us for it all of those things just kind of um, surround the truth and help to explain the depth of the hope that we have and here's the whole point our hope as believers is not affected by the circumstances of difficult days because our hope as believers is rooted in what God has done for us in Christ. So COVID-19, it, it's taken the world by storm. It has caused all kinds of problems. It's, I mean, there's thousands of people have lost their lives. Tens of thousands of people in the States are sick. Uh, it has caused panic in some, fear in others, and it's created caution in most all of us. But whatever the outcome of our current situation, Peter wants us to know that nothing can take away the hope that we have in Christ. Our hope extends beyond this life, and it looks to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. So that's what we're going to talk about. And, and we really need to understand what does all of that mean? And how does all of the reality of our future hope, how does it strengthen us in the midst of this trial? Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the power, first of all, of hope. Hope is a very powerful thing. Hope causes us to get completely emotionally wrapped up in the prospect of something amazing happening, even despite evidence to the contrary, right? I mean, with hope in our hearts, we can not only live, but also endure great difficulty. I mean, think about it from this perspective, cancer patients, right? Cancer patients fight to live because they have this driving hope that their treatment is gonna work and that health is just around the corner. And in many cases it is, right? But they endure incredible pain and difficulty and fatigue and nausea and all of that because they trust and they hope that around the corner they're gonna be well. I mean, think about soldiers. Soldiers battle against all odds, driven by the hope that if they can just take that hill, if they can just accomplish this mission, then the bullets will stop flying and there will be peace, right? So hope fuels in us this powerful desire to face the difficulties and the trials of life because hope holds out in our hearts the promise of peace and rest. But, but what exactly is hope? Right? I mean, I, I can't remember who said it or, or who wrote it, but somewhere along the way, I picked up this definition of hope. Hope is faith in its future tense. Let me explain what I, I think that means. When we talk about having faith, especially saving faith, what we're saying is that we, we trust that what Christ did for us on the cross is sufficient to rescue us from our sin, bring us to God, and keep us there forever. Right? So faith is a trust in what has happened in the past and its implications for us today. Our faith as Christians is based on Christ's person, who he is, Christ's work, uh, Christ's teaching, Christ's resurrection, and all of these things are in the past, which means that our faith looks back and it says, I believe these things to be true and I accept these truths as the basis of my present hope. But the hope that we're talking about here, the hope that is future, is basically it's faith carried forward. So our faith 
not only has a past element where we look to the past and we, we trust in the things that were accomplished there, but our faith in Christ also has a future element. We have hope that what took place in the past is true and that what has been promised us in the future is also true. And both of these things will help us live in the present. And that's exactly what Peter wants us to do. He wants us to live in light of our present suffering, in light of our present trials, in light of our present difficulties. And he wants us to live with a hope that helps us to overcome those difficulties. Peter wants us to live in this present life of sorrow with one eye on the past, trusting in the finished work of Jesus, and with one eye on the future, trusting in God's promise of future rest for his people. Right? So this hope is a powerful thing, and, and Peter wants us to be living in it and motivated by it. But the next question that we have to ask is, well, what exactly has God promised us in the future? And Peter says, God has promised us an amazing inheritance. Inheritance. Now, I don't know about you, but the prospect of receiving an inheritance has never really been part of my expectation um, I mean, it's an, an exciting idea, but it's just not something that I put much thought into. I mean, I don't come from a, a wealthy family. It's just not part of my expectation. But every one of us would have to admit that the idea of an inheritance is pretty powerful. I mean, think about it from this perspective. Let's do a little thought experiment. Imagine you get a random phone call this afternoon from a number you don't recognize and rather than ignoring it, you decide to answer the phone. And then as you engage in conversation with the person on the other end, um, you are told that you are the great-great-grandchild of a very wealthy Texas oil tycoon who just passed away and left you a portion of his $5 billion estate. Now, <laughs> Uh, obviously, you want to check that out, make sure that's right. You might want to call your mom and you know figure out, hey, is this true? I mean, what's going on here? But if, if all of the, the, those questions pan out, the prospect of an inheritance like this is enough to completely change your outlook on life. Even if this was legit, it, it would just change things, right? I mean, it, it would just be an amazing prospect, a pretty powerful prospect. But but even if it was legit, let's think about it from a different perspective. How secure would such an inheritance be? I mean, there are circumstances to life in this fragile and fallen world that would render this type of inheritance pretty worthless. I mean, for instance, what good is a billion dollars if you don't have long to live? And what good is money if what you need is a cure? Or, or just take it to the spiritual application here. What about what Jesus said? Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The level of excitement and joy that wells up in our hearts at the prospect of an earthly inheritance should be magnified by billions as we consider the heavenly inheritance that God has promised us. Because nothing can take that inheritance away from us. It can't be squandered. It can't be removed. It can't be robbed from us. It can't be lost. I mean, actually, let's look at the words that Peter uses to describe this inheritance. He tells us, first of all, that this is an inheritance that can never perish. <laughs> Have you ever had the opportunity to go back uh, to a place, like an old place that you used to hang out when you were a kid, maybe even like a childhood home or something like that, um, something that you haven't seen in a lot of years, maybe 20 years or so? 
And, and, you know, when you think about that place, especially when you think about it, you know, when you were a kid, a place like that is pretty amazing. I think about my grandparents' home, right? It's a place that I didn't go to a lot uh, because they lived, you know, several states away. But when I went there, it was just this amazing, well-established place, right? It was uh, the house was there, the land was there, the trees that we climbed were there, the the garden was there, the the blackberry bushes where we used to pick uh, blackberries. I mean, all that stuff was there, and it just seemed like one of the most stable things in all of the world. But after a number of years, let's say let's say you go back to a place you haven't seen for twenty years, and you look upon that place, well, it's just not the same, right? I mean, the paint's dull, the, the roof is sagging, the weeds have grown up, maybe the tree fell down. I mean, it's just not the same. It has succumbed to the slow decay of time, like all things. It's beginning to perish. But Peter tells us here that our inheritance as born-again Christians is imperishable. And this word imperishable means that that what God has promised us is impervious to corruption and death. And that's kind of hard for us to just imagine because that's all we know is corruption and death. Everything in this world fades, right? I mean, even the things that we think will hold up, they tarnish over time. But our inheritance in Christ cannot perish Our future as Christians, the future that goes beyond life in this world, that future is impervious to every form of corruption and decay. It is imperishable. Nothing can take it away. And and Peter goes on and he says, and it can also, it can never spoil. It can't be defiled, he says. Now, uh, to defile something means to, to take something that is pure and to make it impure in some way. Um, spoiling is a, is a pretty good word. We think about you know some of the groceries that we go and buy, and it doesn't take long if you leave you know fresh produce out, or, or even if you just keep it in the refrigerator a little bit too long, it will spoil. It will become defiled. But what about this inheritance? I mean, can an inheritance be defiled? Well, absolutely. I mean, think about the the prodigal son story. I mean, the prodigal son um, took his inheritance, and what did he do with it? Well, he just you know, spend it on sinful pleasures. He threw it away. He spoiled his inheritance. He defiled it. His inheritance did not last. It didn't provide any security for him or his children. He just burned through it like it didn't matter at all. Now, some of us have experienced in recent days, in recent weeks, a huge depletion of our retirement savings. And in a matter of of days, we saw the market crash and the money that we had watched build up over a period of years or decades was just gone. I mean, I don't want to be insensitive, but in a sense, our earthly inheritance has it's been defiled. It's, it's spoiled. But Peter says that the inheritance that God has promised us is free from such defilement. I mean, the promise of God can't be tainted by the crash in the market. It can't be affected by our own sinful choices. The inheritance that God promises to us is impervious to defilement of any kind. And on the day when we receive it, it will be pure, just as pure as it will be for the rest of eternity. That's a a pretty encouraging thought. Now, Peter goes on and he says, not only that, but our inheritance will never fade. It will never fade away. Now, 
do a little bit of a word search in the scriptures and you see that a lot of things fade, right? I mean, one of the most uh, well-known verses on things fading away is uh, from Isaiah 40 where uh, it tells us the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever, right? You know, Peter actually quotes this verse at the end of the first chapter, and, and he does so to show the fading quality of the earth in comparison to the unfading quality of God's word. Flowers die, their beauty is forgotten. Even Israel's inheritance was subject to a slow fade, but ours as Christians will never fade away. So like an early spring bloom, our inheritance will never cease to be striking in beauty. It will always exist in its most beautiful and vibrant form. We will never tire of it, and, and it will never run out. It will never lose its pristine quality. That's just an amazing idea. But how is it possible for something to remain in such a perfect state? Well, Peter tells us, because the inheritance that we have that is... Um, unfading, undefiled, it is also kept in heaven for you, right? So in this instance, the, the true nature of the difference between um, our Christian inheritance and our worldly inheritance is seen. The, the inheritance that we have here on earth is an earthly inheritance. The inheritance that God promises us is a heavenly one. Our inheritance is kept there. There's a reason that sin and, and decay can't affect it. There's a reason that time can't take its toll on our inheritance because it's in heaven, it's in the presence of God, and it is being kept there until the time comes when God reveals it. Now, the question we ask after that is, well, when is that going to happen? And, and we don't really know, but we do know this. Peter tells us our inheritance is already ready. <laughs> the term he uses here is it's, it's ready for us. And this term ready, it implies that there's really no reason for delay save the Father's purpose. He, he, God's not laboring to build something for us so that we have to wait until he finishes the job. No, our inheritance is ready now. It is finished. Nothing needs to be added to it. So why is it not here? Well, Peter even tells us that because the appointed time has not yet come. In 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 8, Peter says, Don't overlook this fact, beloved. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, and he does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Peter wants us to understand all of these things about our inheritance, but he also wants us to understand something about the timing of God. The mercy of God has not yet claimed all of his chosen people, and so the day of the Lord has not yet come, but it is ready, and it is being kept in heaven for us. And not only that, but it's also being guarded for us, and we are being guarded as well. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it reads this way, By God's power, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, this verse is not talking so much about our inheritance as being guarded. This verse is talking about the fact that we are being guarded. Because God has an inheritance that he has put together for us, and he wants to make sure that we enjoy it to the full. So his inheritance is ready, and he's going to make sure that we are ready to see it when it comes. 
This is pretty amazing stuff. God has given to us a type of security that shields us until the time comes for us to receive God's gift. You can think about it this way. We're under protective custody. God has promised to shield us from anything that might cause us to miss out on the promise that he has given to us. Let me think about a biblical illustration for this. I love to use... um, the Exodus account. I mean, think about Israel on their way out of Egypt when the army of Pharaoh began to follow them, right? God had already released them from the city. They were leaving the city. Um, they They were certain on this particular day that the promise that God had laid out for them was going to be achieved. At least it, it, they had no reason to doubt it. But then the army of Pharaoh begins to track them down. And they come to the end of their journey. They could, Well, not the end of the journey, but at least for that point. And they're standing facing the sea, and they see the, the, the dust coming up from the army moving toward them at speed. And they just think that everything is over, that, that God's plan was not going to come to fruition, that the promised land they would never see. But God has another plan. God decides right there he's going to fight for them. So Israel was told, Here's what you need to do. You need to turn around and you need to watch what God does. (laughs) You you don't have to fight this battle. You don't have to do anything. Just turn around and watch as God delivers you. And that's exactly what he did. God delivered the army of Israel. He freed them from their slavery. He promised to give them a land of their own as an inheritance. And then he protected them until they came into that inheritance, until they came into that promised land. It's a a beautiful story, but it's something that we can take from the the Old Testament and and think a little bit about what our inheritance is going to be like. Because all of that, all of that Old Testament story, it's just a shadow. It's just a, um, it's kind of a warm up for what is to come. What is to come is the greater work of redemption, the greater exodus that comes through Christ. See, Christ hasn't simply delivered us from our enemies and he's delivered us from our sins. And he hasn't just freed us from earthly oppression. He's, he's freed us from a spiritual oppression. And he has promised an inheritance, a promised land, if you will. And he has also promised to guard us and protect us until we receive it in full. Now, why is all that important? Well, I guess we just bring it down to today. The same power that keeps our eternal salvation guards us today. So God's going to get us through what we're facing. What comfort would it be to know that, that, that something beyond our imagination was waiting for us if there was absolutely no hope for, of us ever reaching it? God promises us this in, in eternal inheritance, and he also promises to guard us so that we will get to enjoy it. But how? How is he going to do that? Well, he says he's going to do that by faith. He guards us through faith for an inheritance that is ready to be revealed. So here's what that means. The blessing that God has planned for us is not going to come to us because we earn it. It's going to come to us because we trust in his promises. Ed Clowney writes, God who works for us also works in us. Our faith is his way of keeping us. It is his gift. Why does God use faith as the instrument of his keeping power? Because faith is not our achievement, but it is our trust in God's achievement. So all that God has given to us, all that God has promised to give us in the future is a gift to be received by faith alone. So as we consider all that's going on in the world today, 
and how our lives have been affected by it. Remember that God has promised that the future for his people is brighter than we can imagine. This world is not our final home, and the pains of this world will not follow us into the next. In fact, the brokenness of this world is going to end. And when it does, the future that we long for will no longer be our hope. It will be our reality. So let the wonder of our inheritance as Christians give you comfort today and let it stir our hope for the days to come. If you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at cbcwiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play or whatever is your favorite podcast catcher so that you can stay up to date on all the new content. I really thank you a lot for listening.